So turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17 is the text we're looking at. We looked at it last week as well, uh, but I felt that there's a little bit more that we needed to, to touch on in this passage. And so uh, Paul's epistle to the Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. You can follow along in your Bibles. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. May God bless the reading of his word. Now this is the text that we looked at last Sunday and I, I believe it's the key text really to be able to understand uh, what the rest of Romans is about. And we talked about it last week, we talked about how Paul and why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Or to put it positively, he wants to, he is eager, he says that in verse 15, to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And why is he so? Why is he so eager? Why is he not ashamed? Well, because it is the power of God and in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. That's the two things we looked at last week. It is the power of God and in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, the gospel is the power of God because it saves people. It saves people. And I was thinking about this again as I was preparing uh, for the sermon this morning. <clears throat> uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about how the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they are unable to, to understand, to comprehend the gospel of Christ. But then he goes on to tell us how this God can shine through that blindness and that darkness and open our hearts. And he says this in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, which is a reference to Genesis chapter 1. In the midst of darkness and chaos, God speaks and brings forth life. That same God has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I love that because it tells us that the gospel has the power to penetrate the hardest of hearts, to penetrate into deep darkness that every single person is in, to go right in there and to open us up to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing. It's the power of God. Never give up praying for people. You may have people in your life, maybe relatives, maybe friends or neighbors, and they are closed to God, the gospel of God. They are they, they're rejecting it. They're turning away from it. Doesn't matter. Never give up. Because the gospel is the power of God, able to change the hardest of hearts. Amen to that? Amen, isn't it? But the second reason why Paul is eager to proclaim the gospel is that it is the in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed which is received by faith. You see, Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it has the power to make a person right with God. It has the power to make a person right with God. That's huge. 
you know in the section after verse 17 so Romans chapter 1 verse 18 to Romans chapter 3 verse 20 Paul is going to go after verse by verse section by section to demonstrate how every single human being is born into sin is under sin is under the righteous judgment and condemnation of God every single person that we're all we've all fallen out of a right relationship with God because of sin and human effort and religion can't get us there our own goodness our own righteousness pales in comparison to the holiness and the righteousness of God it never gets us there and so no matter how religious we are or how righteous we think we are we come short of God's glory and it is only the gospel of Christ that gives us perfect righteousness God's righteousness which we receive by faith what a gift that is that's why Paul after all this in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 can say therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus there's no condemnation we're set free from the enormous and impossible burden of having to earn God's favor or to be right with him he freely gives that to us in his son and what that means again is that no one is out of the reach of God's salvation in Christ you and I might write people off or oh, they're never gonna make it they're just too bad their life is too messed up and we just kind of write people off so we have we have in our minds admitted good people who can make it to heaven and bad people never gonna make it to heaven and we may relate to people based on how we view them but this tells us that God is the one who gifts righteousness he is the one who makes us right with God through his son we don't do anything to make our relationship right with God so that's a quick summary of what we looked at uh, last week now this morning I'd like to continue to look at these two verses and I want to focus on faith I want to focus on faith we didn't spend enough time talking about faith and it's mentioned four times believe faith 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 so it's mentioned four times in this in these two verses and I think we need to spend a little bit more time thinking through it it's also used 35 times in Romans so it's a significant word for us to consider but more than that it is the means through which we are declared righteous it is the way we are declared righteous and you got to know that what that means is what that way is we got to understand it we got to make sure that we know what this faith is and what we're talking about we got to understand it we've got to understand what faith is and I think in some ways the reason I want to address this is because faith can be such a misunderstood word we don't understand the persevering nature of faith you know we know of a, a, a person a friend of us who professed faith in Christ for many years but recently has turned away from Christ and they made a clear statement about it publicly that they are no longer a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and it saddens us to read that and to hear that but what about their faith that they had 
at some point? Was it a saving faith that they expressed in the beginning? Will they be saved? What's going on over there? We need to maybe think through it a little bit as to what the nature of faith is. And so we're going to dig a little bit deeper with the next few minutes that we have and understand what faith is. So I'm going to give you a few points over here. Let's jump in. All right. Number one, biblical faith is believing from the heart. Biblical faith is believing from the heart. And I, and I put it like this because I think so much of the understanding of faith is cerebral. It's the information that I have in my mind, the facts that I sort of agree with, and so I have a very mental association with God. I know these things about God and, and these facts, and I agree with them, and so we kind of maybe think that that is what faith is, a matter of the mind. And so I agree with these, these truths, these informational things about the gospel of Christ, what Jesus did. And so, you know, I, and in that sense, I believe that information. But it only stays up over here. But it's interesting that Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and I want to read these verses for you. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved you know when we speak of the heart we know that we're talking about the inner person isn't it that includes your intellect your emotions your will the metaphysical part of you the intangible part of who you are the inside it's not just your heart area, but the inside person, the inner person that we're talking about. And so if we take this to be true, then our intellect or our mind believes in Jesus. It believes in God. But also our emotions of love and devotion are stirred up within us to trust in God. And our will begins to move with confidence in the direction of God's purposes. That's the heart, the inner person. And so when we believe, it's not just mental, but it's, it's, it's everything about you on the inside that agrees with God, that trusts in God, that expresses absolute confidence in who God is. And I like those words, I've just used them, you know, the, the words that are synonymous with faith. Words like trust. I like the word trust. It's a good word that brings out the relational aspect or dimension of faith. And it includes the mind and the heart. We trust with our hearts. When you say, I trust you, there's this something going on inside of you that relates to the person whom you are trusting. It's not just a mental thing that I trust Sharon mentally, but you know, there's a deep emotional connect with which I trust her. But another way to think about faith, and I use that word as well, is confidence. To have confidence in. It is a confidence that we have in a person. And so our confidence in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is our faith in Him. 
that I'm absolutely confident that he knows what he's talking about, that he knows who I am, that all that he's done on the cross is sure, is a sure foundation of my life. I'm absolutely confident that he rose again, that he's at the right hand of the Father, that he's interceding for me. I have that confidence in the person of Christ. That's faith. And it involves everything inside of you, not just your mind, but your heart is drawn to God. That's faith. Faith or believing is from the heart. Because biblical faith is deeply relational and describes our trust or confidence in God. Just as we love God, you know the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart. So also we trust Him or we believe in Him with all our heart. We do. And so biblical faith is believing from the heart. Now let's keep that over there. Let's move on to the next one. Biblical faith is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9. Let me just turn that here. Do we have it on the screen? Yeah. Alright, uh, I think it's just verse 2, chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. What's he talking about? Well, in one sense, he's talking about that whole phrase, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Every part of that is not of our own doing, it is the gift of God. And that includes faith over here. And, I, and I, I specify that because so often we might think about faith as being something that I exercise of my own free will. That somehow, you know, I came to agree and understand the things of the gospel and I believed. Whereas the other person didn't. And I think Paul is very careful over here to maybe try and remove it. In the next verse he says, so that, there is, so that no one can boast. And that's why he says in that next phrase, this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Even the faith that you have in God, in Christ, is something that God has opened your eyes to and enabled you to express. Let me show you a couple of examples in case you're confused, you don't agree with me. Let me show you a couple of examples from the scriptures. Uh, of, of things related to this, right? Acts chapter 5 verse 31. Peter says, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. You see, repentance is an action that I do, but God gives me the ability to repent. That's marvelous. Acts chapter 13 verse 48 we read of the Gentiles coming to faith, it says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. Those who were appointed to eternal life are the ones who were able then to believe. And so you see God's gifting is not of myself, it's a gift of God. Acts chapter 16 verse 14 it's an account of, of uh, Paul in Philippi. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia <clears throat> from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, 
who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention. Or take what Paul writes in Philippians 1.29. He says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It has been two things have been granted to you that you would believe in Christ, that not you would believe in him, and that you would also suffer for his sake. Both have been granted to you. You've been allowed in that sense, you've been given a divine permission to be able to do that. Moreover, Hebrews 12:2 says that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Faith is a gift from God. Biblical faith. In fact, if you read the context of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, the verse that I read, you go back a few verses, it says, For we were dead in our trespasses and sins. What do dead people do? Nothing. Nothing. And when it says if we were dead, it's talking about us being spiritually dead, meaning that there was absolutely no ability that you or I had to ever relate to the living God, to the holy God. Nothing in us. We were dead to God because of sin. But God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, that same God has shown his light into our hearts through the spirit of God. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Faith is a gift from God. The very fact that you and I have, have an, have, are open to the things of God, that we can understand God, that we can have a relationship with God, that confidence, that trust that we spoke about is a gift from God. Amazing. Let's come to the third one. Biblical faith is persevering in nature. It's persevering in nature. You know, we, we, when we were looking at the passage last week, we came to that quote uh, in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, uh, which is in Romans chapter 1 verse 17, right? He says, the righteous shall live by faith. That's a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. And it's an interesting one when you understand the context of Habakkuk. You see, in the book of Habakkuk, God is about to judge the kingdom of Judah at the hands of the mighty Babylonians. And the prophet Habakkuk is horrified. He's horrified. He says, how can you bring an unjust nation? I know my people are sinful. I'm the one who brought them to you in their sin. But how can you bring an unrighteous nation against them? He's horrified. But then in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, the Lord assures Habakkuk, that Babylon will receive what is due to them for their actions. And he says to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I want you to wait. The vision will be fulfilled. I want you to wait. And then he says, the just or the righteous shall live by faith, by waiting on the Lord. That's what he's talking about. And Paul takes that and he applies that in this context in a slightly different way but with the same idea of waiting on the Lord and what I want to pick up from Habakkuk is that faith is not just this one-time thing that you do at the moment of your conversion to Christ 
But biblical faith perseveres on. It waits for the Lord until it finds fulfillment in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just that, you know, I believed when I was five years old and now I'm free to do whatever I want. No! Biblical faith perseveres on. It moves on and on. It grows from strength to strength. And those who wait for the Lord is what the scriptures say. In fact, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10, towards the ending of Hebrews chapter 10, before chapter 11, the great chapter on faith. Listen to what he says at the end of chapter 10. And he actually quotes Habakkuk. He says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. That's faith, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, persevering faith, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And here's a quote from Habakkuk. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You see that? Persevering. We're not of those who shrink back, who fall away, who get entangled with the things of this world, the worries of the world or the pleasures of the world. We don't fall away to those things. We continue on, persevering on, and so preserve our souls by faith. Biblical faith is is persevering in nature it is the it is ongoing where we continue on day after day to trust in god to have confidence in god so that our souls are ultimately saved what about doubt then do you struggle with doubt Do Christians struggle with doubt, with God and His Word? Yes, they do. We do. Just look at the way we live. Just look at the way you live. I can tell you, you have doubt in your life. You get anxious. You have doubt about the goodness of God. You have worry and fear and insecurity and pride and greed and ambition and envy and bitterness yeah those things man they rear their ugly head every now and then right in our lives and the bible tells us that all of these things all sin is born from unbelief it is when we are unable to see and enjoy the goodness of God that we turn to other things. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. The serpent came to them and said, hey, look, this looks good for, for you and it's tasty. It'll make you wise. And God said, don't touch that. But the serpent said, no, 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 you're missing out. And so out of that unbelief in God, they ate of that fruit. We do it today all the time. And so we do struggle with doubt. But a Christian deals with it by continuing to go to God, by continuing to get to know who God is through His Word, through His presence, 
through the worship of believers we go to God and as we go we get more familiar with God it's normal in your relationships the more familiar the people I trust the most are the people I know the best who are closest to me and I love all of you but I don't trust you as much as I trust my wife you understand me right I'm not trying to be mean but that's the nature of it and it's true in our relationship with God as we go closer to him as we get to know him we begin to trust him we begin to deal with the doubt that creeps up in our lives but biblical faith is persevering by nature and will continue till Christ returns and a true believer will continue to grow in their faith let's come to the fourth one Biblical faith is evidenced by a changing life. By a changing life. You know, James says something important about faith. And I think Paul had a lot of trouble, uh, not Paul, Martin Luther had a lot of trouble with James because, you know, on the one hand he says the righteous shall live by faith and then James comes along and says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He's like, what's going on over here? And I think what James is trying to show us is that biblical faith is evidence in the way a Christian lives his life. And I think the church and Christianity today is full of people who profess to be Christians because at some point in their life they believed in Christ and were baptized but they don't follow him anymore and the church and Christianity is full of people like that and Paul uh, and, and James says over here faith also and so also faith by itself if it does not have works is a dead faith because our the genuineness of our faith is evidenced by the way we live our lives by our works just to be clear we're not saved by faith we're not saved by works sorry we are saved by faith but the evidence of living faith is how we live in obedience to god's word in chapter james chapter 2 verse 19 he says you believe that god is one you do well even the demons believe and shudder and what he's saying is even the demons give mental assent to the information that God is one. And they're scared of God. But that's not all. Because they do not then submit or surrender to the will of God. They remain rebellious to the will of God. They do not follow God's will and purpose. And James is picking up on that and he says don't be like that. Don't just simply give mental assent to the things of God. Follow after Christ. Who is a Christian? A Christian is a follower of Jesus. Not someone who just knows what the master knows, but does what the master does. You know, I always love this picture of, of Peter. Uh, and, and, you know, Jesus walking on the water and Peter and the other disciples in the boat. And then... Peter sees Jesus and what does he say? Lord, tell me to come to you. And so Peter gets out on, on the, off the boat and he begins to walk on water. 
but all the paintings what do they show Peter sinking I think that's a bad painting you know why because Peter was the only one who walked on water because Peter was the only one who says you know what I don't want to just know things about Jesus I want to do what Jesus does I want to walk in his footsteps that's a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ when you and I by faith take his word seriously and we follow in his footsteps that's a Christian that's what James is talking about over here Christian believes in the goodness and trustworthiness of God and therefore lives in submission to the word of God and his or her faith is evidenced in the way they obey God's word so when you give sacrificially we can put that up you are living when you give sacrificially you're living by faith because in your generosity you are trusting him to meet all your needs or when you make sure that you control your work hours and come home and spend time with your family you are obeying God and trusting him to bless you in your work just giving you some examples and you can relate to some of them maybe some of them don't but just some practical ways to look at what faith that works itself out looks like or when you forgive a person who has hurt you and you're reconciled to them you are showing your faith in God's promise to protect you and to secure your life on you or when you give time to care for the poor the weak the sick the underprivileged those who can't give anything back to you you're living by faith trusting God with your time and your resources or when you read the word and pray every day you're demonstrating your faith in God through your actions of reading and praying God's word and presence is important to you you're showing that through the way you live you see biblical faith is evidenced by a changing life and i say changing life not changed life because we're all a work in progress aren't we we're not there yet and so there's an ongoing what we call sanctification that is happening in our life year after after year your lifestyle your convictions your priorities will change if you are a follower of Christ that's what faith is biblical faith is believing from the heart biblical faith is a gift from god biblical faith is persevering in nature and biblical faith is evidenced by a changing life i want one verse that i want to put up and i it's one of my favorite verses when i think about faith great description in peter first peter 1:8 and 9 and we'll close with this but here's what peter says about faith though you have not seen him you love him and though you do not now see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls you see that faith is not just up here but it involves every part of you the inner part of you and the outer part of you in the way you live your life and i love what peter says about it over here that we love him that we trust him 
that we are filled with a joy when we have real faith. So I ask you this morning, does your faith look like this? Does your faith look like this? All that we've spoken about. If it does, then you can have the confidence that you have a faith that produces righteousness, the righteousness of God leading to life. But if it isn't, and you've maybe been following some other kind of Christianity that doesn't look like this, you can go to God still and ask God to give you, to grant you repentance, to grant you biblical faith. But you can go to God for that. But don't live being deceived. That's the worst. Don't live being deceived. Let me give you a moment now to just quieten your minds and hearts and, and think deeply about this. And then I'll pray and we'll close.